Folks, our main guest this week on the Irish NFL Show. As we enter draft month in April, we're delighted to welcome in the creator, analyst, and host of the film room, uh, Brett Coleman. Brett, it's a, it's a real, real pleasure to welcome you to the Irish NFL Show for the first time. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy I could make it. Brett, have you ever uh, had the, the pleasure of coming to the Emerald Isle or, or even a game in London or anything? Uh, I've been to London three times. Um... And I've I've always wanted to go on a, on kind of an Irish whiskey tour, so uh, you know, kind of making my way around the island and going to different distilleries. Uh, I think I have. I, I know this is this is not kosher in Ireland, but I, I've got whiskey from both sides of the aisle over in my bar over there. Uh, so I don't know if they'll allow me to go to Bushmills and Jameson on the same trip, but hopefully, I, hopefully, I can. There's no, there's no hassle at all with that. You can, you can equal, equal opportunities on, on this show, Brett. But um, I suppose one thing um, that kind of broke earlier today um, as we record this, but is the, the news around BA, the Bucks, and obviously Todd Bowles. And you are somebody who's been a big admirer of Todd Bowles and his work for quite a while. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you feel he's going to bring as a, as a head coach and in terms of his defensive schemes and, and like getting this opportunity? It's, it's not with the Jets, it's with the Buccaneers and Tom Brady is back. Yeah, I I really respected that Arians did that because, you know, and he made a good point of, hey, I'm going to retire next year anyway. You know, oh, sorry, my cat's trying to play with the laptop here. He's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire anyway. I might as well give Todd, uh, you know, a stable functioning team that might be able to make a Super Bowl run here rather than just leaving him with um, – you know, scraps after, you know, Tom Brady potentially retires again. And, you know, all these other veterans that we just pay a lot of money, like the roster is not going to look the same in a year from now. So he wants to show the league that Todd Bowles can really coach and, and that, that what he can do when he has a good, you know, veteran led talented roster. Cause he, you know, he didn't, he didn't really have that with the jets. So I think he just, he wanted to show what Todd could do with a fully prepared roster and I, I really respect Arians for that because he didn't have anything left to prove he won a ring you know he, he coached for many years in the league might end up going to the hall of fame he had nothing left to prove and so he wanted to hand it off to his protege that's younger that you know has earned another shot in the league to be a head coach and um, you know, that's just kind of who Arians is he always looks out for his people and he he did right by Todd Bowles there Brett, uh, Bobby, uh, Bobby Wagner has taken his time in terms of picking his next team since he was released from the Seahawks. And usually when that comes to play, it's usually it's only a one-year or a two-year deal. Are you surprised, judging the news today, the enormity of that deal? Five, five years, 50 million, it's a, it's a significant deal. For I would Wagner. be very surprised if he plays all five years on that. Just like I don't think there's any shot that Von Miller plays six years in Buffalo. I just think they, they structured the cap hit in a way where they could just kind of keep pushing it off and keep pushing it off because quite frankly, they expect the cap to go way up as the new TV TV deal starts paying out. Um, you know, the, and the Rams salaries, how they're kind of structured right now. Like I, I don't think they're really going to get hurt by this because by the time they really have to pay a lot of money, 
um, in terms of cap hit, the, the guarantees are going to be, it's, it's a very maneuverable deal for them in that way, you know? So I, I don't think it's really going to do a lot of damage. And if anything, I think it was a good deal for Bobby just to kind of get, you know, one more deal at the end of his career. And it was a good deal for the Rams because they, like, people keep saying like, ah, how can they afford all this? It's like, well, they're, they're, their cap hits are arranged in such a way where they're never all hitting at the same time. So they, they actually are, are pretty, pretty good in terms of, of where their money situation is. Uh, Brett, I love you bringing up BA. His press conference departing was typical uh, BA territory with, uh, uh, I think the exact expression was, I didn't do shit. I just sat back and watched these guys do all the work, <laughs> which was typically self-effacing a bit like obviously when he, uh, um, picked up the Lombardi trophy a couple of years ago. And I love the comment you made, actually, I saw on Twitter earlier about he retired, unretired, joined the Bucks, got Tom Brady to join, won a Super Bowl, and then hands over and is going immediately into the Hall of Fame of the Bucks this autumn, the Glazers have already announced. Like, that's pretty good for a four-year span. But yeah. I'm fascinated on your thoughts about some of the constructs. You mentioned, like, Wagner and, obviously, Von Miller. They're probably a little bit fake deals. We've seen a lot of that in recent times with the concept of voidable years. And there are some deals still, even with the TV contracts, you can, that don't make sense to me. I mean, how and what the Washington Commanders are doing at quarterback, taking on Carson Wentz's contract, is a, is a big question for me generally. I have joked that the Colts said, oh, we'll have to give them two the mid-round picks. And then something went... Oh, they're going to give us the picks, which is uh, a bit strange. But what has stood out for you so far? We're playing Madden this offseason. It's been bizarre, crazy, all kinds of wonderful as fans in many respects. But what has stood out for you as either the best or the absolute worst deal and structure so far, given the production or the player they're picking up? I will say... um... I'm not a fan of everything the Browns did this offseason, but trading Amari Cooper or trading for Amari Cooper for a fifth round pick. And at the time, everybody's like, ah, I, you know, Amari, 20 million. I don't know about that. And then all of a sudden, you know, Christian Kirk is is signing for for that deal, which then completely shifted the wide receiver market. And now the top of the wide receiver market is like 27 to, you know, by the time next year's group signs, it's going to be thirty million. So that twenty million for Amari Cooper ain't going to look too bad, especially when all it cost him was a fifth round pick. So that I think was a very prescient move, and just kind of the general theme of free agency of you know you're starting to see guys go for more like three year deals, but with super high guarantees, so that they can then get back on the market as soon as humanly possible and cash in again. It used to be, you know, if you go into the league when you're 22 and then you know when you're 26 you sign another extension that gets you all the way till you're 30 and 31 now it's okay 22 you sign another extension when you're 25 26 for three years to get you back on the market when you're 28 29 because you know you're still in the middle of the prime you cash out again and have the guarantees run out when you're like 31 32 and then you go to take that you know that last veteran deal like what bobby wagner just did so it's kind of interesting how, you know, that second contract is getting shorter, but with higher guarantees, which I think is it's favorable to both sides in a way because, you know, the players get back on the market. It's kind of gambling on themselves. And it's also favorable for the teams because in a way they can kind of get out of deals that don't work as well a little bit quicker. Now it's like every deal 
is either two, like in reality, every deal is either two years or three years when you look at the guarantees and the extra years are usually kind of meaningless. Brad, March had everything. Forget about St. Peter's, the lads, March Madness for the college basketball <laughs> for the NFL. As Mark said, it was insane, not just players, but commentators moving, stadiums happening. And, and one thing that's not just been in the talks this week is obviously Buffalo, but a talk within Kansas about potentially the Chiefs moving out of Arrowhead. I've seen you've talked about it a bit this week. Do you think that's realistic or do you think that's going to happen? If you look at the Oberstadia in the AFC West, obviously with SoFi Allegiant, talk with Denver trying to maybe do something there as well. Do you think the Chiefs could maybe do that in the future or do you think it's all just maybe smoke at the minute? I'm, I honestly don't know because at this point I'll believe anything. You know, um, I don't think that they should leave Arrowhead. I would rather... You know, if if the Hunt family is just looking for public funds to refurbish Arrowhead, maybe this is their leverage for it. But even let's just pretend they're building a new stadium. I don't think they're leaving Missouri. I think that they're leveraging Kansas because they want the Missouri side of the border to give them a better deal um, in terms of like they already have a site that they can build on pretty easily. That much I know. Um I, I just I get the sense it's a leverage play. It would it would be very weird for me to for them to go to the Kansas side of the border. Like I know they have a fan base in Kansas, but there's a lot less people there. I'll just say that. There's a lot less people. So I I would imagine most likely scenario is they're staying in Arrowhead and they're just trying to leverage the city to give them a whole bunch of money for refurbishments. Second most likely scenario is they just build another stadium in the Missouri side of Kansas City. And then maybe if somehow Kansas gives them a like the state of Kansas gives them a crazy deal to move to that side of the border, maybe it works. But I would be surprised. Yeah, we shall we shall wait and see. It's uh, always in, intriguing, and when money is involved, uh, who knows? But um, but one thing I suppose I've always been impressed um, from you is your willingness to put your hands up and admit mistakes, right? Because we all make them, we all get it wrong. That transition from college to the NFL, no one knows how it's going to go. And for our viewers, Brett did an amazing video about a month ago where you talked about the QBs transitioning from college into the league and, and how you know different that is, how you assess them and how that has changed. And I suppose drawing on that, you know, as we, we are in April or when this is being broadcast, looking at this year's QB class, and you know, we all know the talk about it, the fact that we've maybe seen so many teams trade for QBs, maybe says what teams are thinking. But what do you what what's your thoughts on it, Brett, in terms of who's your standout? Is there somebody that you you'd be willing to to take a shot on? And is there somebody that people are talking about that you think, no, there's that guy, I just at this moment in time, with the caveat that we can all be wrong, I don't think they'll really do it in the NFL there are only two quarterbacks in this class that I feel very confident in that they're going to go in the first round and only one that I feel very confident they're going to go in the top 10 the one is Malik Willis I think he's going to go number two overall to Detroit because he's got crazy physical tools and these days if you're a coachable kid with physical tools you're you're going to go high and I think you know Detroit's a unique situation where 
you know, they have a good offensive line. I think they have a stable coaching staff. They have a veteran quarterback in front of him that he can sit behind for a year and learn because there's a lot of, a lot of mistakes that kind of need to be ironed out from his game before he even steps foot on an NFL field. Um, so that's a good situation for him. I would be all in favor of him going number two to Detroit. The other quarterback that I think could go in the first round that I feel somewhat confident that he'll go in the first round is Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. Um, you know, very intriguing profile does not have the same physical gifts of Malik Willis, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have tools. They're just not of the freak arm nature of Malik Willis. And he is mobile. You know, he's got some size to him. He's six, three, about two fifteen. So, you know, not the biggest guy in the world, but still by comparison to a lot of the quarterbacks coming out these days, still bigger than many of them. Um, how is intriguing to me from North Carolina. He's got a good deep ball, but he's not necessarily a drive thrower. So if he's trying to make those throws like from the far hash, um, that's going to be more about timing and anticipation for him than just raw, you know, piss miss alarm strength, how, how I like to call it. Um, yeah, Pickett is fine. I think he could go in the first round. Um, but I also see him as basically like Andy Dalton. So it's like, if you're cool with Andy Dalton and you think that you have a good enough roster where you're like, man, if we had like young Andy Dalton from like 2015, 2016, where, you know, the Bengals made a couple really good playoff runs. It's like, if you think your roster around him is good enough, you can take Kenny Pickett and probably feel okay about it. But as soon as you have to pay Kenny Pickett, you know, by the time his second contract is coming up and it's like 45 million a year, it's like, are you going to feel awesome about that? Probably not. So it's like, he's fine. But I think when you, when you look at all these young quarterbacks out there where it's like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, like all these crazy athletes where you see what they can do that very few other human beings can do. You got to get through them in the playoffs if you're going to go anywhere anyway. So you might as well go get somebody like a Malik Willis that can at least match crazy tools for crazy tools. And then you just got to, you got to hope you hit and and coach them up. Right. Brett, everybody's been talking about the AFC West and how aggressive the team has been, but on the other side of the coast, the AFC East, the Dolphins, very aggressive this off season. You know, they've done a good job on the offensive line, the Tyreek Hill trade, but this year for two, it's, it's has to be make or break, I guess, because, and then what concerns me if they do have it, a middle of the road season, where does that leave them? Because then obviously the good quarterbacks in the draft will go early next year and they're kind of back in a catch 22 situation. If they have a middle of the road season, all of a sudden they're going to be the same place the Broncos were this year is they're trying to trade for a talented but disgruntled veteran. You know, the same thing the Rams did. You know, it's like, ah, eh, we have the roster, but we don't necessarily have the level of quarterback we need to make the most use of it. Um, you know, the Bucks a couple years before that have the roster. We don't necessarily have the quarterback that can really get us over the hump. You know, Tampa got Brady, uh, LA got Stafford Broncos trying to do it with, um, with Wilson this year. I, if Tua does not take that next step, I could very easily see them, you know, go target a quarterback somewhere else. And just say, you know, we'll we'll give up whatever we need to, which now they're kind of running a little bit lower on picks because they gave up Tyree Kill for Tyree Kill. But 
you know, this is the exact reason why they keep getting linked to people like Deshaun Watson. They keep getting linked to people like Tom Brady is because that's there, there's kind of two ways to build a team these days. Either you, you know, hit on a young quarterback and you take advantage of the fact that they're dirt cheap so you can go buy the rest of the roster or you build the rest of the roster first and then go trade for a veteran quarterback. It's kind of the only two ways you're going to win a ring these days. So um, Tua has to take that next step. And if he doesn't take that next step because the roster is ready to go, they're going to replace him. If I don't care that he's on a first round rookie deal and they spent a top 10 pick on him. Like that doesn't matter anymore. If he doesn't take the step with this roster, they are going to replace him somehow. Yeah, Miami still making light of that Laramie Tunsil deal back in the day that still keeps on giving and giving, um, <laughs> eventually cashing in all the chips. But I just want to say as well, as Colin called out, I applaud you on like not very many people come out and say, hey, you know, I was wrong on that. In fact, on this show, Michael's got a very different approach. He's so wrong so often, he just shouts about the times he's right. You know, this is <laughs> another way of going about things. But I, I just want to dwell on the NFC South again for a second. Um, we started there with the Bucks and everything. But if you look at the other teams in that division this year, it like it's such a flux. I mean, it always feels like the NFC North in terms of there's one dominant player and three make weights in many respects. And I know Vikings fans will hate me for saying that, but they've been there. They just haven't realized their talent over the last while, obviously clearing house uh, at coaching GM this season. But in the NFC South, you've got Atlanta with the unbelievable 40.5 million cap hit. The Panthers, who still don't, I mean, they've Sam Darnold, but they don't really have a quarterback. And they obviously have Matt Rule trying to figure out what he's supposed to do outside of college. And the Saints, who, you know, they've got James Winston back, but they don't have Sean Payton this year. I mean, I don't want to say it feels rather bleak there, a bit like it does in the NFC North, a bit like it did in the AFC East with the Patriots, you know, and their domination over over the years. Am I being too harsh, or is there hope at the end of the tunnel for those franchises? I mean, I don't, I, I don't really have any hope for Atlanta this year at all. Um, I think the Falcons are going to be in the running for for first overall pick. I'd, I'd be kind of surprised if they're not. Um, the Panthers are an interesting case because like there's a lot of talent on the roster, but they just can't get the quarterback position. Right. Which is obviously really important. Um, the saints, I, I happen to, to like, you know, Jameis as a, as a quarterback. Again, I don't think he's like a top 15 quarterback, but I, I certainly don't think he's a bottom seven to eight quarterback either. I think he's kind of like smack dab in the middle, um, which for a roster of their quality should be enough to get plenty of wins, especially in a, relatively weak nfc so they'll probably be a playoff team but i also i struggle to think that they're gonna get through the rams and get through the packers or really get through anybody in the nfc west if we're being honest but that being said their defense is good enough and i think their overall talent on the roster should be good enough to probably split with tampa because tampa has struggled with the saints for the last few years um so I, I do project them to be a wild card team and probably a, an annoying one at that for, for Tampa if they have to play them a third time in the playoffs. But I I think other than the Bucks, I don't really see any like actual Super Bowl contenders in that group. 
I'm going to ignore Mark's comments uh, for a while anyway. Brett, uh, last round of questions here. It's, it's been great having you on, man. Um, I've seen this week, obviously, the NFL owners meetings taking place in Florida, and I can't find the tweet anymore, but I've definitely read this or else I'm going crazy. Uh, Christmas Day falling on a Sunday this year. Talk of additional games, maybe two or three games on Christmas Day. Rumours, obviously, until confirmed in the first week in May. Um, if you had to pick a Christmas Day game, just straight up, from looking at the current strength of rosters in the NFL. Late game, who would it be? Ooh. I kind of like the idea of an AFC West game just because they're all good. Um, my, my my wild card pick is going to be like Russell Wilson's return to Seattle um, because they the Broncos visit the Seahawks this year. So that could be a fun one, although maybe slightly depressing because the Seahawks aren't going to be very good. If the, if they want a, like an actual good competitive game, it'll probably be AFC West. I think like um, let's see, what's like a ooh, you know what, Raiders Chiefs. Yeah, Raiders Chiefs sounds right to me. That sounds like a Christmas game. Yeah, maybe a, a kind of a, a diehard type in the way the diehard of Christmas movie, Raiders Chiefs, maybe oh, yeah. a, a Christmas matchup. Um, kind of piggybacking on what, what you just said there in relation to the, the Seahawks. Um, you know, Pete Carroll is 70. And um, are, are you surprised that um, they have, they decided to, to move on from Russell Wilson with a 70-year-old head coach as you said, there's a Bobby's gone. There's a lot of rebuilding there to do that for a guy who is literally a geriatric. Yeah, I I knew that they had to move on from one of them. I was a little bit surprised that they that they moved on from Russ instead of Pete, because I definitely got the vibe that it was like a it's him or me type situation. Um, but maybe they just felt like. They weren't going to win anyway, you know, looking at some of the top ends of the NFC. Maybe they felt like the roster just wasn't there. And so they wanted to get what they could out of Russ and, you know, use those assets to start to rebuild the team and, you know, hope they hope they hit lightning in a bottle again and get another quarterback like they like they lucked out with Russ. But what I find fascinating about it is, OK, let's just say they acknowledge the roster wasn't in a good spot and that they weren't going to be competitive. Isn't that Pete and John Schneider's fault in the first place? And so if anything, if you're going to trade Russ, you might as well just blow up the whole damn building and get new people in there because you're getting all these picks from Russell Wilson and you're giving them to the people that messed up the roster in the first place. Like, I don't know. It's a little bit weird to me that it's like, oh, well, surely they'll get it right this time. And it's like, why would you think that? Like they haven't been good at drafting for a long time. Brett, we've spoken about uh, quarterbacks being traded because the level of quarterback coming out in this draft isn't what we've seen in the past. Is is that something similar with wide receivers? I know Drake London and Garrett Wilson are the main two, but we've seen big deals for wide receivers this offseason. The Jets are being continuously linked with giving away the 10th pick for DK Metcalf and even today, yesterday, AJ Brown. Is the class of wide receiver good enough for the likes of the Jets at, 10, at the 10th pick? See, it's interesting because I think uh, what's kind of throwing a wrench into things is that two of the top four receivers, I would say, are coming off major injuries. You know, you got Drake London, or London coming off a broken ankle. 
Um, and he's going to have his combine medical recheck pretty soon here. And then, you know, Jameson Williams um, is coming off a torn ACL. And the report came out today that he's hoping he'll be ready for training camp. So it's tough because if all these guys were healthy, I do think it would be a good receiver class. Wouldn't be like the best out of the last three, but in terms of like just looking at looking at the position group in a vacuum, I think there's a lot of good guys in this class. Just some of the best ones happen to be coming off pretty substantial injuries. So I think that's probably why you're seeing a lot of smoke for the Jets, you know, kind of using that 10th pick on DK Metcalf and getting more of a sure thing because if they use it on Jamison Williams, they they don't even think they're going to be able to to work with him the entire summer and, you know, get him on the field and building chemistry with Zach Wilson, which was the problem they had with Denzel Mims, you know, is that he was hurt pretty much his entire rookie offseason and he's never really got going. Um, and so I just I don't think they want to deal with drafting a hurt player. So you might as well just take that top 10 pick. And while there's still a fire sale, fire sale going on in Seattle, um, you know, go get somebody who's kind of a proven commodity. There's a lot of people at the back end of the draft who feel that when Williams comes back from the injury, in the long term, he's the best wide receiver and they will get the best player. It's just a case of being patient with the injury. Yeah, and so like if Jamison's going to go high or go in the first round, I think it's going to be to a team that doesn't need him to be their number one immediately. You know, a team that has time for him to literally not be ready to play until September you know, or even just ready to step on the field till September. So I would look at, um, God, who's a team that actually fits that bill. The chiefs have been linked. And you know, when the chiefs had Tyreek, I would have said like, yeah, you could take Jameson Williams and, and, you know, he'll be the number two and they can survive with Tyreek and Kelsey until like October. But now without Tyreek there, it's like, yeah, Jameson Williams would be the number one. But it's like you're going to go into a season with a rookie number one receiver that you're not even get, going to get to work with all summer. Like that's uh, that's risky business right there. So it's tough. I'm going to be fascinated to see how high he goes, because like you said, on paper, if he was healthy, yeah, he'd probably be the top receiver in this draft. But um, it's it's a tall order to ask the Packers with no number one or the Chiefs with no number one to make this injured 21 year old with one year of good experience to be a number one receiver in the NFL from the get go. That's that's pretty tough. Uh, Brett, they've, they've got Juju. They'll be fine with Juju. Oh, Jesus. I, <laughs> um, I also I, I have to warn you Seahawks fans generally have pitchforks. So just for the interest of balance, I will flag, of course, Schneider and Carroll did develop the Legion of Boom, converted the fifth rounder with. Richard Sherman converted wide receiver and stuff. So they did do some good, albeit not for the last five years on any drafts, which is why Russell Wilson has only won, or the Seahawks have only won one playoff game in the last five years. So, you know, I've just got to give a bit of balance because they come for us. I mean, you know, they come with their humps and their, you know, ailments, but pitchforks, dangerous, dangerous crew. I, I was um, born and bred in the salt, believe me. <laughs> But, but Brett, I mean, you you do the you know some amazing breakdowns and some amazing analysis and on on film on the film room in relation to each you know uh, part, facet of the game, and nothing stands out more than for the average fan. And when you're watching the game, it's one thing. When you look at the coach's film, maybe on Game Pass afterwards, and you can see the detail and the level of detail, especially on offensive line play. Like everyone can see when a team gives up a sack, they sometimes don't see the nuance of how the defense gained it 
or how obviously the offensive line was performing and blocking and holes maybe that a running backs missed during a game and, and those nuances. But if there was one narrative in the postseason last year, it was, oh my dear God, the Cincinnati Bengals are trying to get Joe Burrow killed. Yeah. And yet, so far this offseason, no team has done probably more. And bear in mind, they are the AFC champions still, ladies and gents. No team has done more to try to improve their offensive line. Based on your analysis during that postseason, the moves they've made, some of the way they're trying to shift around, how, you know, do you see that they've, do you think they've taken the right steps? Do you think they're bringing in the right players? Or is there something more endemic or systematic there that's a problem? I think it is the exact same thing that Kansas City did this time last year, where, you know, you get to the Super Bowl, they sustained some offensive line injuries, but they had zero depth. Patrick Mahomes was getting slaughtered in the Super Bowl against a very good front from Tampa. And they immediately said, no more. You know, we, we have this young quarterback in Patrick Mahomes who has taken a couple significant injuries, you know, dislocated kneecap, all that kind of stuff. And he's running for his life. We can't do this anymore. We invested literally half a billion dollars into this guy. He needs to be protected at all costs. And so they did that. They replaced literally their whole offensive line and made another almost Super Bowl run. And Cincinnati's thinking the same thing of, hey, we had this young, brilliant quarterback who has carried this franchise on his back for the last two years, you know, got us on the knocking on the door of, of holding up a Lombardi trophy with nothing at offensive line. Terrible. What can he do when he's actually protect, protected? And they're going to end up investing probably half a billion in him as well, just like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. So for the first time I've ever seen in my lifetime, the Bengals are actually spending money because they realize what they have in Joe Burrow. He is a franchise changer. They never really spent like this for Andy Dalton. They never really spent like this for, for Carson Palmer. Like, it's blank jet time over there. They're building a new training facility, an indoor training facility. You know, they're expanding the front office. Like, they're doing stuff that they've never done before because they know what Joe Burrow can do for them. And they know that he can bring a championship legacy to a franchise that historically has not had one. So I think it's um, it's a phenomenal sea change for them. I'm happy to see it being done. And I think that, you know, the arrow is only pointing up for the Bengals from here on out. Looking forward to seeing it this season. Brett, um, look, for, for anyone watching or listening to this show, obviously we'd encourage everyone to check out Brett's content on Twitter, but also Brett Coleman's channel on YouTube and your Patreon as well, Brett, that I know you're massively into and, and, the, and the fantastic analysis you're doing. And we, we, we want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I have both Jamison and Bushmills here, and, and you're more than welcome over here anytime. And uh, hopefully chat to you again soon, Brett. Absolutely. Thank you so much.